1: Extra Time! Kia ora koutou and welcome to Extra Time, a weekly podcast brought to you by the sports team here at Radio New Zealand, delving into the major sporting stories of the week in New Zealand. I'm Clay Wilson and in this edition we focus in on the national game as All Blacks coach Steve Hansen reveals his plans for the future and history is made at the New Zealand Rugby Awards. We also hear from the Black Caps coach ahead of their home summer opener, talk to a former Silver Fern about her emergence from retirement, and find out why a New Zealand tennis star has decided to put down her racket. Steve Hansen says his decision to step down as All Blacks coach after next year's World Cup is the right decision for himself and the team he has led to new heights. Hansen announced his long-awaited decision this week, confirming he will leave the role after the team's tilt for a record third consecutive World Cup crown. The 59-year-old will depart having spent 16 years as a member of the All Blacks coaching staff, and success in Japan next year would cap an enormously successful eight years in charge. And even though he loves his job, Hanson is adamant 2019 is the right time to walk away. For the three-time World Rugby Coach of the Year, and a man with a scarcely believable record of 85 wins from 96 matches in charge, in the end, Steve Hanson's decision to stop coaching the All Blacks after next year's Rugby World Cup wasn't a difficult one.
2: Oh, look, I'd like to coach this team for the rest of my living days, but it's not the right thing to do, so... So I wouldn't say it's a close call, it's just the right call.
1: Hansen isn't tired of the immense expectation and pressure, quite the contrary. But he isn't the only one whom the years of public scrutiny has weighed on, and he believes it's time he repays family for their sacrifice. That, and ensure the All Blacks remain one of world sport's most dominant teams.
2: It's right for the team to have someone new after this World Cup. I think uh, some fresh eyes, some fresh thinking whether that's within or without um, side of the, you know, whoever the replacement is, it'll be fresh. So I think that'll be great for the enhancement of the legacy of the jersey, and that's, that's the most important thing.
1: That sentiment is reflected in Hanson's decision to reveal his future now, so it doesn't become an unnecessary distraction on the team's World Cup quest. New Zealand Rugby Chief Executive Steve Chu. Who admits he tried to convince Hansen to stay says that level of selflessness is one of two major legacies Hansen will
2: leave behind. The special thing that makes the All Blacks different uh, has just grown. It's deeper. It's more authentic. Um, we still have men that make mistakes occasionally, um, but you know, largely this this group uh, carry themselves outstandingly well, and that's all part of Steve's leadership. But you know, what will be remembered is you know two World Cups to date and. 16 Bledisloe Cups and I can't remember how many uh, invested rugby championships and a winning ratio of nearly 90%. No one in sport does that. The man himself
1: though wasn't in the mood for reflection on his long list of achievements just yet.
2: You know the job's not finished. It sounds like if I start doing that it sounds like I've finished. And I don't want to be finished. I've got 12 months where we, we, we've got to do something that you know. And, and if we do that that'll be the most proudest thing win three in a row.
1: A treble of World Cups would certainly be a fitting way for Hansen to go out. Whether it would be his last achievement with New Zealand rugby remains to be seen, with speculation of an advisory role when his coaching tenure ends. The future, beyond next year's tournament in Japan though, was also not up for
2: discussion. I don't know, so I can't tell you, so don't bother asking, because you'll get that answer, it'll just be, I don't know. Um, I'm not... I'm not... Focusing on what's next, what I'm focusing on is making sure that we get to next year and, and we try and retain that Bleslow Cup, and then try and do something that's not been done before, which is, you know, win uh, three of these World Cups in a row. So
1: do that, and Hansen will leave with his reputation with All Black fans at an all-time high, a reputation that, as it stands, with most supporters is already in pretty good health. done a fantastic job. Really good, top coach, done really, really well. The same issue in reverse he built on that side that Graham Henry
2: produced and took them to a new level. I think he's been a great servant to All Black Rugby. I think uh, um, he may feel it's time for him to step down and let someone else have a crack at it. I'd really be interested to know who his replacement's going to be. It has to be pretty good to replace Steve Hansen.
1: Given his commitment to leaving the black jersey in a better place... It's an assessment even someone with standards as high as Hanson's should be satisfied with. Morti Hotaka, Orteia Cor Clay Wilson aho. The Black Ferns halfback Kendra Coxedge made history this week, becoming the first woman to win Overall Player of the Year at the New Zealand Rugby Awards. The 47 Test veteran was also named Women's Player of the Year and won the Fial Fa'amasele Medal for player of the women's domestic competition. Rugby reporter Joe Porter was at the awards where women led the way. Kendra Coxedge took out three awards, including the
3: top gong, to cement her status as the most outstanding player in 15s rugby in New Zealand, male or female, beating All Blacks Brodie Retallick, Cody Taylor and Richie Moonga.
4: It means the world, um, you know, all that hard work and that blood, sweat and tears that kind of goes into putting on any, any type of jersey. Um, you know, when you win awards like this, it you know, pays off.
3: Becoming the first woman to claim the top prize, Coxage says her win is for all of women's rugby.
4: Yeah, and that's how you kind of feel. Um, you know, any award we get is kind of put women's rugby on the, on the world stage and on the national stage, and it's important for us to do that.
3: What's it like to be the blokes, though?
4: Oh, you know, it always feels good. But you know, credit to the boys that were up for the award as well. Um, oh, they've on. had a great year. <laughs>
3: <laughs> what do you think it will mean going forward now that that barrier has been broken, that glass ceiling has been shattered, so to speak?
4: You know, I think we um, started off last year with Sarah Goss being nominated for the first time, and then you know myself and winning it this year. I mean, it's a stepping stones that we're making, um, and it's pretty pretty proud to. be be a part of that and um, going forward it's going to keep paving the way in the women's game.
3: The Black Fern Sevens were crowned the New Zealand Team of the Year their first time winning the honour after taking gold at the Commonwealth Games and at the World Cup. And Captain Sarah Goss says women's rugby in all forms is on a high.
5: Obviously the Black Ferns um, won it last year and for us to win it this year is is a huge honour and we know that we don't go out there and and train or play to win awards, we go out there to um, inspire young kids to want to pick up, whether it's a ball or racket or whatever, we just want kids to be active.
3: The men's sevens coach Clark Laidlaw won coach of the year, edging the women's sevens Alan Bunting and the All Blacks Steve Hansen. So what's it like to beat the All Blacks boss?
2: Yeah, I'm not sure that's uh, how you would class it but uh, <laughs> if, if we can go on and coach as well as what Steve has for over all the years he's done and been so successful and we've been lucky enough to spend time in their environments and, and we learn you know, so much every time we go there.
3: Scott Curry was named All Black Sevens Player of the Year with Michaela Blyde who was last month named World Rugby's top Women's Sevens Player doing the double, taking out the Black Fern Sevens Player of the Year. Blyde can't wait to play at the Hamilton Sevens in January as she fights for more coverage of the women's game.
6: It's really exciting that we finally get an opportunity to play in front of our home crowd. Um, Obviously with us playing overseas we don't get the opportunity to play on TV. It's really a struggle for our family and friends to watch us play when we're overseas.
3: The last word though must go to Coxedge who grew up idolising the All Blacks as the Black Ferns simply weren't visible. Now she's become the role model she didn't have as a girl who loved rugby.
4: That's what's cool and I feel proud to be up here hoping that one day there's a young girl out there that wants to aspire um, to be myself or any other black fans or Black fans Sevens play.
3: Amen to that. And tamaki Makoto, call Joe Portoraho.
1: Is it a blessing or a curse following in the footsteps of a famous sporting parent? Nico Jones, the son of legendary all-black Michael Jones, has embarked on a pathway that could see him emulate his dad and become an all-black. The 18-year-old recently signed his first professional contract with New Zealand Rugby and is now part of the New Zealand Sevens side. Ravinda Hoonia investigates just how much pressure the offspring of top-flight athletes come under to succeed and asks, how do they cope?
7: Replace the trademark chested S with the Soanen silver fern and you have what New Zealand regard as our very own superheroes. For those who have donned the black and white, it's their children who pay the most attention, with some coming to realise they've inherited superpowers of their own. Former All Black, Lowly Sir Michael Jones's son Nico will soon join the All Black Sevens camp under a spotlight prompting the Iceman to remove his cape and transform into your run-of-the-mill dad.
1: He's still very much under our wing, so to speak. He is old enough to make his own cause, and he does that well. But at the same time, we can guide him. We can't be overprotecting. We can't keep him in a bubble. Things that I've learnt and seen, and my responsibility is to make sure that we can point him in the right direction, guide him, and, and even protect him
8: from things that could trip him up along the way.
7: Fellow Hall of Famer, Sir Brian Williams, is a measure in the evolution of hype. With the lack of technology and absence of social media in the 70s, helping his children pursue careers stress free. His sons, Paul and Gavin, both represented Samoa and played out their careers in France almost undetected, although it was plays like this.
3: Brian Williams going backwards, looking for space,
9: and through and getting it.
3: Great try, Brian
7: Williams. That created internal battles of expectation, but he's simply glad he had the freedom to approach these areas as your everyday parent.
6: Well, I gave them a little bit of advice, but I learned quite a few years ago that it's probably best if I keep my mouth shut. On occasion, you know, they asked me uh, bits and pieces about you know what happened in our day and how, how best to deal with it. But generally, they charted their own course. You know, they were able to earn their own income,
8: and uh, we didn't have to keep them. So that was that was nice.
2: New Zealand. So Robry, the captain,
9: the 28-year-old the playing line. her 81st international. She's never lost as captain
7: since taking over in 2002. Center. Former Silver Fern Anna Stanley is not only the daughter of past New Zealand defender Brenda Robry, she's married to former all-black Jeremy Stanley, son of ex-all-black Joe Stanley, with three sporting kids of their own. The Stanleys are well-versed in what it takes to shine in your own right and concedes their kryptonite is showing support without stealing the limelight.
6: We keep trying to tell them we don't care where you get, you know, because they do feel the pressure. They go to cross-country and they know that, you know, mum used to always win. So I think, you know, they've got these parents that excelled and does that mean that they have to and quite like the fact that our boys are playing football, you know. They don't have to be an all-black like dad. And that's why in some ways I'd nearly prefer Jaya not to play netball because then she's not going to be, you know, in my shower.
7: Even those who forge their own sporting paths are never too far removed from the shadow effect.
6: Fox, after that gorgeous tee shot, can you finish it off? Yourself? What a
2: little run he's having.
7: PGA golfer Ryan Fox and former All Black dad Grant are often spotted as a player caddy duo on tour, though the seemingly perfect exterior is anything but. The 31-year-old explains how Dad has always been a perfectionist competitor, something he failed to inherit, making the search for balance at times tough.
1: There's not one way to do it. There's guys that
8: practice hard, there's guys that play a lot, there's guys that do short, sharp. Obviously Dad had his way and my way was a little bit different. It probably took a little while for us to both work that out and thankfully
1: now I've had a lot of, a bit of advice and obviously a lot of experience as well and have figured out what works for me and
9: Dad understands that even though it might have been a little bit different from how he approached things in his rugby day. Sports
7: psychologist Karen Nimmo says every family have their own experiences in this unique world. And while different times bring different reactions, the support that's needed
6: is universal. That is more critical. Now, I think that's the main difference and you are exposed quite quickly on the big stage you know you need everything possible in your corner and that includes if possible your parents. To be uh, wrapped up in your supportive environment for as long as you can can be really helpful.
7: A support Sir Michael relies on is Samoan culture and Christianity values the same way he was raised, believing that his son nicole's success draws from the it takes a village to raise a child mentality.
1: That's been a big part of shaping him and, and making him and a big part of the support, the scaffolding, that's been central to getting him to where he is now. So he can never lose that appreciation and that recognition that he is a, a byproduct of this loving village, and he's very connected to it. I can't see him never disconnecting himself from it. That includes the role of his faith. He realizes it's a
4: gift he's been given.
1: So
7: while it comes with its various challenges, guess it's the parental support that counts the most. O te hou o te hunia aho.
1: The Black Caps coach Gary Stead feels his side is vulnerable heading into their first match of the home summer. The New Zealand side begin a lengthy summer schedule with the first match of a two-test series against Sri Lanka at the Basin Reserve starting tomorrow. It comes just a week after they arrived home from the UAE having secured their first away series win over Pakistan in 49 years. Along with the two tests, the Black Caps play five one-days and a T20 match against Sri Lanka before India arrive for five one-dayers and three T20s. Three one-dayers and three tests against Bangladesh will take them through to the end of March. And then it's into the lead-up for the World Cup in England in June. It's a schedule that's thrown Stead in at the deep end, and he told sports editor Stephen Hewson he's not afraid to admit he's still finding his feet.
9: There's always some apprehension, and, and um, I guess you're a little unsure about... Will my methods be, be embraced and stuff as well? But I guess I've, I'm the only real change uh, other than the odd player here and there. It's not like the whole support staff's been cleaned out. So I lent a lot on on the experience that, that they had and um, I guess played uh, probably a little bit more of a, an observation role than, than what I'm used to. But but I think that's partly because you're actually you're better resourced and better staffed than what you are in the major associations. So... Um, it it was just a bit different so yeah I'm finding my my feet still I guess and and, um, learning a lot about the people in, in the group
8: What's the biggest challenge for, for someone like yourself coming into that environment, and you as a coach,
9: as you mentioned, many of the players have, are established. Mm. Hi. Oh, so I think the key thing for me, or what I've tried to focus on, is just building strong relationships with everyone, and and that takes time. And, and And if you then can get to that stage of building stronger relationships, then hopefully the trust is there as well. So that's all I've been trying to do is get alongside people, understand them, observe yeah. how they how they operate, and then ask some questions of why they do it, but also I want to help them with their game and if they're looking for help then I'm there to assist as well so uh, look it's I, I've loved the first couple of months I've had in the role I mean it's, it's hard not to it's, uh, it's a special position to be given but um, yeah I just want to keep helping the group improve and get better
8: You go into the Sri Lanka series I mean you pop back you're only back a week and conditions are so very very different and I'm not sure there, there would be a, a bigger change in conditions Yeah. Um, how do you adapt to that
9: uh, well that, that's the word that we have to do is adapt and that's the key thing I mean uh, our guys have played well in these conditions in the past but I guess what I do feel is this is a little bit of a vulnerable time um, in that uh, we're, we're back for a week only uh, guys are still struggling a bit with jet lag at times as well um, we're going from the the extreme conditions of of i guess low slow turning wickets to probably hard fast bouncy basin reserve as well so they're all things that are uh, i guess just little red flags to be aware of so it'll be that word, let's adapt and let's be, be really clear on our game plans as well. Because these guys have done it before and they can do it again. So, um, But it, it just leaves, I guess, the being a little bit more vulnerable than what you'd normally be. I suppose on the plus side, you're coming off that win, whereas Sri Lanka are coming off
8: a, a 3-0 series loss to England.
9: Yeah, but quite different sort of situations and stuff as well. I mean... It, it, I think most, most teams in world cricket can, can upset others, and, and it's not like there's massive, massive gulfs between them all, so we certainly won't be taking Sri Lanka lightly. Um, uh, I hope our guys uh, have that frame of mind and, and, and that we treat them with the respect that they still deserve as well. What do you fear most about Sri Lanka? Uh, probably at the moment for me it's the unknown because I don't know that much about them. But that's again where I'll be leaning on um, the support staff and, and our players as well to to ensure that the I guess the right scouting and stuff that we need to do is, is, is complete and done, and that we're really clear on the plans and the way that we're going to play.
8: As a coach in planning, are you highly involved in that? Is that your thing? Do you like picking other sides apart? Is that or, or what sort of approach does Garys did? Sorry.
9: Yeah, I, th- I think uh, we, 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 as a group here, we probably tend to focus on on key individuals in, in the opposition. But, um, look, uh, I mean, Craig McMillan and Shane Jurgerson have been around for a long time and, and they're very good at that and, the, and the, our scouting is thorough. Um, and the players also know that it's, it's part of their responsibility. I mean, at, at the end of the day, it's their records. It's not the coach's records so much. So it's their records, so... Um, the guys are, are on the iPads all the time and they're looking at the opposition and we're trying to find, I guess, things that might be different from the norm. So you, you have a normal plan that you will normally you, normal have, but what might be slightly abnormal? Or if they're at their best, what might we have to have a, a different plan in place? So it's just knowing those those different options that that you can have. So, so
8: do you see your strength and, and then as relationship building? I'm just trying to so get oh. to feel on Gary Stead's style as as coach. Because but, I mean the, the, you know, obviously different people have different
9: approaches and and yeah, those. Yeah, look I mean I, I'm I'm well planned and, and organised and, and I like I like having some structure in in, in place. Um, but I also I don't want it to be too structured that it that it inhibits I guess natural flair and as well. So um, it's about having enough enough I guess uh, structure, but having the flexibility for it to bend as well, and, and and be adaptable to what's in front. So, at the end of the day, I, I, the role of a support staff is to assist the players as best we can, and and so we can do what we'll have the, the nicest looking things in the world. But at the end of the day, it's about the players' performance on the on the on the field, and and ultimately that's what we're measured on as well. Black Caps coach Gary Stead talking to
1: Stephen Hewson. Temipada George says age is only a number, after the 43-year-old former Silver Ferns mid-quarter recently announced her return to the National Provincial Netball competition for the 2019 season. George will play for the Northern Stars next year, almost eight years since she signed off her 13-year career. Being part of an ANZ Premiership team automatically qualifies the two-time Commonwealth Games gold medalist and 2003 World Cup winner for national team selection. While she isn't completely ruling out putting her hand up for a silver ferns return, George told Ravinda Hunia for now she was focused on helping the South Auckland-based stars to success and giving back to the area where her netball career was kick-started.
6: This is where I started my netball in the South, um, lived all my life in the South really um, and um, yeah it does mean a lot in, in that regard.
7: Timmy, Potter, age has been spoken about a lot since you're coming into this team. But mm-hmm. what is your message to those critics?
6: I think like it's a well, cliche, like age is only but a number. Um spoken to a few people about that comment, and it's more about your body and if your body's willing and your mind's there. So I think um for me my body's actually held up really well. Um keeping up with those uh, whippersnappers in the in the group. Um and mentally the experience you can't get experience until you do it. So um I think I've got that as well. So for me I don't really worry about the age. We have jokes in, within our group but um it's more on what you can actually produce there very like I said, if your body's willing and your mind's there as well, um, yeah, you would be fine. <laughs> Do you feel a sense of maybe, you know, a bit of frustration? I mean, no one would know
7: your body better than yourself. Does it mm. make you feel like, you know, you have to kind of prove
6: yourself to these people? Um, I'm not so much proving to anyone else. It's probably um, just ensuring that I dot the I's and cross the T's to ensure that I'm personally happy with where I'm at before I actually take the court or before that competition starts and um, I haven't actually utilised our um, medical staff as much as I have since I've been back. <laughs> <laughs> I think I'm, I'm a lot better now uh, with recovery and all that other stuff away from training than I was when I was actually playing how many moons ago. Um, so um, just ensuring that I do the stuff behind the scenes um, to ensure that I can actually produce out there on court. So it's more about doing it for myself, which then I do that, I can actually give to the team and hopefully help help us win.
7: <laughs> now, being in the ANZ uh, competition qualifies you to trial for the silver ferns. <laughs> if that if that opportunity was to ever raise itself in your direction, would you ever consider it?
6: Oh, you know what? I just I'm concentrating on what's here and now. To mm-hmm. be quite honest, and um, there's so many other great players around, and for me, it's just about. Um, This task that I've got in front of me, and that's huge. So um, my thoughts aren't even at that stage. You know, if it ever happens, then I'll deal with it if if it does. But if it doesn't I'm I'm
7: happy yeah well you know another you know thing that's come out of this is leadership in the mid-court we see in the ANZ teams that the majority of you know a lot of the leaders are in the mid-court even with like the reinstatement of Laura into the Silver uh-huh. Friends and her captaincy so what is it about that position or that area of the court
6: that directs a team they bossy <laughs> no 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 I just think it's um, I don't know I think because you're um, right throughout the court um, you're right throughout the court in there um, you can direct um, and that's something I've found um, different to when I used to play is it's a lot quieter out on court and um, so it's just trying to start that communication, but I think once that started, then there'll be a lot of leaders or direction out there from every player. I'm looking forward to seeing that evolve.
7: And for you, what is your goal for the next netballing season?
6: Uh, for me personally, uh, my goal is to stay injury free and to be available to take the court and yeah play really well.
1: Netball veteran Timmy Parter George, speaking to Ravinda Honier. New Zealand's top-ranked tennis player for more than 10 years, Marina Arakovic is looking forward to a change in direction, after announcing her retirement from the professional game this week. Still just 30 years old, Arakovic was coming towards the end of her recovery after a 13-month injury layoff, but decided she no longer has the motivation to continue at the top level. The Croatian-born Kiwi reached a career-high ranking of 39 in the world winning one at WTA singles title and eight more in doubles. I caught up with Arakovich in Auckland after she announced the news, where she told me the past few years had been hard as she dealt with a variety of injuries.
5: Last year was very tough. I had to retire from three or four matches. I had to cancel about four or five events, and at the end of last year, it was just really hard to to play, and uh, I'd go to sleep and lie on my back and my legs would go numb, and yeah, it was just a lot of different issues, you know, the travel and everything was slowly killing me, but at the end of last year, I sort of said, look, I need to take a break and see if my body can recover, And I did that. And then it was sort of really June, July, and I started training again and working, and it just wasn't great. And to be honest, even when I was sort of going out to play, the motivation was very low. The whole toll of the last few years have just built up, and I know what it takes to get back. And also, I really took the year off, and I sort of switched off from tennis, and I didn't really follow it a lot. I just did normal things, and, you know, I was a happier person.
1: You're obviously the lone Kiwi woman on tour for almost, if not your whole career. What were the challenges that came with that?
5: Yeah, from an early age, you know, even juniors, I was sort of. On my own, or with my dad, and then with a coach. And the positive spin on that is probably I got to make a lot of cool friends from all over the world. You know, I, I used to get along with the Aussies, with the Brits, with the Americans, with the Serbians, with the Croatians. I was quite, <laughs> I you know, I, I was quite friendly with everyone. And but it was it was tough, and it, it was tough actually to connect a little bit to see the support that I had in this country, which I did have. And it wasn't until my first Olympics in Beijing and London where I got to the Olympics Village, and all the Kiwis came out and did the haka for me, and it was quite emotional for me because I didn't realise, you know, I ha- I had that connection, which which is really special. So, yeah, interesting interesting aspects about it.
1: A lot of professional sport is tough to make it in, but tennis is a, a really global sport alongside a few others. Can you just describe about that week to week grind of trying to foot it with the best players in the world, trying to stay among that company? Just how difficult is it in a sport like tennis?
5: Yeah, it's, it's it's very difficult because, um, you know, the WTA Tour is about 2,500 players and I think it's approximately 100 countries represented. So it's a big environment and it's a big business. There's a lot of money at stake, so it's highly, highly competitive. So I guess a lot of people don't realize the amount of effort and the amount of skill it takes, you know, especially to even break that top 100 barrier. Um, but saying that, it is possible, and I really hope that we can keep doing it in New Zealand.
1: Tennis player Marina Arachovic there, after this week confirming her retirement from the professional game. And that's all we have on Extra Time this week. Thanks for tuning in, and if you have any feedback about the podcast, please feel free to send us an email at sport at rnz.co.nz. And don't forget to get all the latest from the world of sport, head to radioNZ.co.nz forward slash sport and give us a follow on Twitter through our handle at RNZSport. Be sure to listen in next week when we wrap up the best moments and biggest stories in sport for 2018. I'm Clay Wilson, wishing you a great weekend.